Right? If, if, you are, if you're not a Christian, if you're seeking, then I invite you to, to come and listen and just to, to think deeply about what we're talking about today. Uh, if you're a Christian, uh, you need to be encouraged. Uh, this is why we have this, is so that we can be encouraged, we can be strengthened in our faith. That, that as we walk through life, as we have ups and downs, um, that, that we can hold fast to this truth that, that grounds us. Uh, am, I, am I a bit too loud? I'm not sure. Is it too loud? Okay, yeah, I don't want to tire your ears out. But um, let, let's, let's turn to Acts 15. I'm just going to read a portion of it now. I'm sorry, from verse 1. It says, Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Right, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the, how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad when they came to Jerusalem. They were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. So people came from Judea, right, most likely Jews, and they taught these believers um, in Antioch. Right, Antioch is this place where people were first called Christians. People were devoted to God there. And they were encouraged by Paul and Barnabas to remain true to the faith because there are going to be things in the world that tell them otherwise. Right? The people, they have a temple of Zeus you know, uh, outside there and they have all these other religions and all these cultures you know, that, that, that say otherwise contrary to what we hear about in the gospel. So he reminded them to remain true to the faith. And these people, they come from Judea, they're Jews, and uh, they're, they're, they're written here that these people were, uh, were believers. Um, and they... And they told the people, hey, unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. So circumcision was a procedure um, which involves you know, cutting off a, a piece of the foreskin of a male's penis. It was a sign of God's covenant with his people, beginning with Abraham. Right? Abraham was basically the father of, the, of, you know, of uh, this, this nation that was going to come out. And, and this nation was supposed to live for God, was supposed to show all the people surrounding countries who God is and how they can come to know who God is. So these Jewish families, they would perform circumcision on male babies, typically um, a few days after they were born. This is apparently the time that was best to do it. It, it was least painful. And, you know, as you know, if, uh, if, if a male or a teenager, you know, an adult, if they, if they got circumcision later on in life, it would be very, very painful. Um, you know, in the Old Testament, uh, you know, there, there was, it was written, um, uh, you know, where uh, in Abraham uh, and, sorry, Jacob, that he had uh, several sons. Uh, and, you know, one of them, like, mistreated, or someone else mistreated someone's daughter, his daughter. And then, uh, basically, they were like, Okay, we'll let you marry if you. Um, or how I think I'm getting the story wrong, but basically in Old Testament there was a story about how uh, there was this whole city. They agreed to um, to be circumcised if uh, they would allow someone's daughter to be married to their family, right? And uh, they allowed it, and then they actually couldn't move. They couldn't do work for uh, uh, for like a week, and then during that time, people came in and they actually slaughtered the city. So, circumcision was actually a really painful process. Really painful. And this is what these men were teaching. They were teaching, they were saying that, you know, unless uh, you, referring to the men who are listening, unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. So, what, what, we're laying, what they're laying out is a condition. It's a condition. Unless you do what? Unless you do what? 
Unless you are circumcised, you cannot what? You cannot be saved. So, I'm sure if people could avoid this, they would avoid this. But what's more serious here, what's more painful than just this physical pain, what's more painful to the gospel and to these believers is that if, it is, is that if a person's work is, is conditional for their salvation, then what they believe is not true. Then their faith cannot, cannot save them. Is, so the question I want to present to you today is, is a person's salvation faith plus works? Faith plus works. It can even be a little work. Right? It can even be a little work, but is there a little something extra that you got to do? And this question caused Paul and Barnabas to come into sharp debate, sharp dispute with these people. Does anyone know the, the term of sola fide? Yeah? Anyone take a guess? Take a shot. <laughs> take a shot at that. Yeah, yeah, go for that. Faith alone. Yeah, say that louder. Say that louder. Yeah, faith alone. Faith alone. So, it's one of the five solas from the um, uh, Protestant Reformation. Five solas. So, you might have heard of them. Some like Sola Gratia, right? Sola Deo, things like that. Right? Uh, Sola Christus. So, it means faith alone. So, this is very important doctrine of our Christian faith. Faith alone. And we're going to cover that more. Um, and we're going to follow the story. So, these, Paul and Barnabas are sent with a couple of other people up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, uh, it was basically the mother church, right? Uh, the first church that started. And they were sent there to meet with apostles and other elders to talk about this. And here we see the elders and apostles, they were the ones who, who knew the Bible best. Supposedly, right? They were the ones, the apostles, some of them actually spent time with Jesus uh, you know, for many years, right? For two or three years, they were with Jesus. So these people knew the Bible the best. They knew Jesus the best. And this is actually one of the roles of an elder. Um, so we have elders here in the back. So it's to settle matters of truth. Settle matters of truth. Right? That's one of the elder Jerry's roles here in, in our church. Um... You know, elder Jerry goes to various meetings, right? He has an uh, elder board meeting that he meets once a, once a month, right? Today we're going to have our elder and deacon board meeting where we're going to be talking about uh, different things about our church and, and often it involves truth, what we're supposed to do here at our church. And another thing is that elder Jerry, he's supposed to teach. He's supposed to teach. So last, uh, last year, uh, no, sorry, earlier this year, um, oh no, last year, yeah, last year, he, he helped out uh, with Joshua's baptism, right? He, was, he led Joshua to his baptism class, and he's doing some teaching, right? During uh, Friday, he has a Bible study at his house sometimes, where he meets with a group of people, and they take turns just leading Bible studies, right? Teaching. That, that's part of what he's supposed to do here. And another thing is that he's supposed to um, resolve conflict. And that, that's also something that he's had to do uh, quite a bit of, I think. So his job is not easy, right? Elder has to resolve conflict, settle matters of truth, and also to teach. So, just take for example, 
if, if me up here, if I, if I said something like heretical, right, if I said something just, just wrong and, um, and I really believed in what I said, um, then an elder here, would, he would have to come to me and talk with me about it. You know, let's examine the scriptures together. And, I'm sure, and I hope that uh, us as a church, that you guys would also come to me and talk to me about stuff, you know? Like, hey, Pastor Fee, you said something, and like, I don't know if that's, if that's true. Like, the Bible says this. Um, like, what do you think? You know, come talk to me about that. Uh, and I hope you to do it in truth and love. But uh, here at our church, at any church, we form theology. That's what we're doing here. We form theology. So basically, we help each other learn about who God is, what we think and what we can know about God. That's what we do here as a church. Here we're learning, we're teaching each other, actually. So, a big portion of, of our church teaching here comes from me, but it also comes from each other as well. It comes from that time you spend time together, we talk, turn to Sunday school, it comes from, yeah, we got to go out for coffee or just, just hang out. These things could come up, right? You experience things in life, maybe you, you, you have some kind of trouble and you want to talk to someone, or you have a question, you want to talk to someone, or just, yeah, just things that you experience in life, and you guys try to figure out what is, how does this all fit into um, God's plan or God's purpose for our lives? You know, like, like we wonder, and here we, we teach and we learn from each other. And some stuff might be right, you know, some stuff might not be so right, and sometimes we'll need to examine the truth, and we need to, uh, to figure out what's right. And someone once said, it's, um, it's not difficult to tell right from wrong. It's not difficult to tell right from wrong. It's more difficult to tell right from almost right. Think about that a little. And we need to be discerning we need to be very discerning when we read the scriptures, when we hear people tell us certain things. We need to discern, is this right or is it it's almost right? But there's just something a little, you know, something a little off. And often these things, if they're left unchecked in people's lives, if they're left unchecked in our church, it can cause great harm. Because like I said, we're all learning from one another cause great harm upon God's church. So my hope is that we'll all feel safe here and we can provide an environment where people are open. They're okay to share what they think and to, and to talk and to learn and form our theology as we examine the scriptures. So, in verse 5, I want to continue. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know, some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and belief. Right, so these believers uh, uh, in Jerusalem, they belong to this part of the Pharisees. Right? The Pharisees were these group of people who, um, they followed the law you know, to the T. Right? They dotted their I's, they crossed their T's. And they were actually people who worked very hard, they have to have been very morally upright to join this group. Now, unlike the Sadducees, Sadducees, they were born into that position, but Pharisees had to work hard to get into there. Um, Nicodemus, in John, right, John chapter 3, he was a Pharisee. Right? He came to Jesus at night and was like, hey, what, Jesus, um, you know, what's this whole deal with being born again? How can I enter my mother's room, right? He was a Pharisee, so this guy was really upright in people's eyes. 
But we see that some of the Pharisees, they had believed in the gospel, which is awesome. Right? These Pharisees, oftentimes, they get a bad rap in the Bible, right? The Pharisees, like, these are the people who are trying to get Jesus, trying to kill Jesus, you know, they're trying to make him stumble. Um, they oftentimes get a bad rap. But here we see that some of these people have actually turned around, and they're following Jesus now. But they also say this. Right? If the Gentiles, if they're not circumcised, then they can't be saved. And not only are they required to be circumcised, but they're also required to what? To what? So, they added something. Do you guys see that? What did they add? On top of circumcision. In verse 5. They're required to keep. Some some traditions say obey. So not only are they required to be circumcised, which is just a one-time thing, now they're adding on top of that all the, the, the laws of Moses, all the customs. And that's a lot. Right, that involves observance of holidays, right, like Passover, festival of lights, you know, harvests. They have to go and, and give offerings, you know, you know, grain offerings, peace offerings, sin offerings, you know, like the, uh, oil and, and incense and, and all these things. Right? They've got to obey and keep all of these things. And basically what they're trying to get at is, unless Gentiles, we're Gentiles, you know, we're not Jews, unless Gentiles convert to Judaism, basically they become a Jew, then they can be saved. That's what they're saying. And that's really, really dangerous, what they're trying to do here. So is salvation by faith alone, or are works required? That's the question that they're debating. And at this point, right, Peter, he gets up and he begins to speak. So Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends. Peter, James, and John. These three were Jesus' closest buddies. But Peter was not without his faults. Peter denied Jesus three times, right? He was like, Jesus, I will go with you to death. I will die for you. And when the time came... Of course, you know, yeah, he pulled out his sword to try to cut someone, but then he ran off. And he denied Jesus three times. Man, I don't know this guy. I don't know this guy. I never even met this guy. Peter was a man who knew what it was like to, be, to feel guilty. Peter was a, a guy who knew what it was like to be sinful. Right? Even though he was a Jew and was circumcised, and was familiar with Jewish customs and rituals, he said this. I want to read it again in verse 7. It says this. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear the, from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Right, we, we know that this happened with Cornelius. Cornelius was a centurion. Right, Peter was up on his rooftop. He was, he, was, he was so hungry, he passed out. And he had this, like, this vision. And God brought out a cloth with, with animals. And it was Peter, get up, kill, and eat. Right? And that, that whole story was about you know, opening up the way and path for the Gentiles. Right? Bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And then Peter, and Peter went. And he shared the gospel with Cornelius. And Cornelius and all his household, they were saved. And his friends, got, they got saved. So Peter knew. He understood this. In verse 8, God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them, meaning the Gentiles, 
by giving the Holy Spirit to them. So the Holy Spirit was a sign of someone's salvation. It was a sign. It was a promise. It's an inheritance. That's what it's describing in Ephesians. It's an inheritance. So if you have that, then of course you're a Christian. Only Christians have the Holy Spirit. In verse 9, He made no distinction between us and them, for He purified their hearts by faith. And that's big. That's huge. He made no distinction between us and them. You see, the Jews, they were very big about drawing distinctions, drawing lines. Man, like, you know, they, they, they thought that, you know, they were, uh, you know, like, the people of God. And of course, you know, they were in the past, right? They, they were thought, the, the people, and, you know, and they're high up there. They, they're, they are prideful. You know, we have God. We have the real God. We have the one true God. You guys need to convert to what we do before you can become Christian. They're very prideful in that sense. And they're very wrong, too. For he purified their hearts by faith. To be cleansed. Their hearts were cleansed by faith. And we need to be reminded of this. Paul, uh, but Peter, he gives us a very powerful reminder that we are purified by faith. My heart is purified by faith. So I want us to, to say together, say this. My heart is purified by faith. Let's say that. One, my two, heart three. My heart is purified by faith. faith. Let's say that one more time. My, my heart, heart is purified, purified by, faith. by faith. What does that mean, though? means that we are clean and our sins removed before God. God no longer sees our sin because we believe in what? We believe that Jesus, he took our sins into himself on the cross and he died for the sins of the world. And therefore, by him dying in our place with the sin of the world, we can be clean. When God sees us, he sees cleanness. If this is what we believe. Right, this is the condition. This is the right condition. Not faith and doing something to be saved but rather believing in who Jesus is and what he has done, that is faith. That is what can save. This is what we're supposed to believe in. By faith, both Jews and Gentiles alike are purified. So then Peter, then he brings up this, this kind of like this accusation. He kind of calls them out. It's really, it's really interesting, right? He calls them out. So he says in verse 10, Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? And this is really ironic here. He says, why do you guys try to make them do something that we couldn't even do? You said that they must become like us, but yet 
What you're trying to tell them to do, they can't even do, because we couldn't even do it. That's so ironic. So a yoke was, you know, put on uh, put on animals, you know, oxen, right, around around their their necks, and it was, it was to help, you know, the farmers. Like, so like it, it was heavy. So it's kind of like you're you're trying to burden someone where where they could stand up, right, you know, and, and walk freely. Now now you're you're burdening burdening them. And verse eleven says no. We believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. You see, the, the law of Moses, the commandments that God gave to his people, right, we have the famous Ten Commandments, but also there's also many, many other commandments. There's about 613 in the Old Testament. These commandments that God gave them, it was never meant to save them. It was never meant to save them. It might, it might, you might sound, it might uh, hear that and be like, "Oh, that's kind of, it's kind of like sad. Like, why would he do that? Why would he give them these laws, um, but then they're not even able to, to save them? Why? Because the true purpose of these laws, it was to show the Israelites, to show God's people that no one could keep the law perfectly." Therefore, no one could deserve and earn salvation by their own means. Salvation comes by the grace of God. And he emphasizes here, just as they are. We are saved just as they are. The same, same. No discrimination here. So anyone, anyone can... Uh, uh, give a definition of what grace is. So Justin, he's asked that question before. And um, you know, he, someone you know, gave a really good answer, but he's not here today. So I want to ask you guys again. Um, what's the definition of grace? What's the definition of grace here? It says, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. So what is the definition of grace? Anyone got a working definition? Yeah. Grace. This is this is a this is a word that we use a lot, right? Um, uh, we sing it in the songs. Right? Always about grace, grace, mercy, love, you know, all these things. So, so what is this grace that we, that we often talk about? Come on, you guys got this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. That's, okay. Yeah. That, that's good. That's good. That's good. So it's it's basically it's a it's a gift. That's what grace actually means. It's a, a gift. So I want you guys to think about that. It's your birthday. Okay. I know somebody's birthday is coming up really soon. Think about it. it's your birthday, and when people come to your birthday party or something like that, or they maybe you have a party, maybe you don't. But someone gives you a gift. Are you going to ask them? So, thank you for the gift, but how much does it cost? I know, okay, someone that's really weird, they might, they might ask, okay, but generally people don't ask. Right? And, and in fact, most people, they, 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 like, they cross out the price, right? 
they'll like, scratch it out or they use like a marker or something, they'll, they'll, they'll take it off and take off the tag, right? Because, you know, like, you, don't use, yeah, you just don't let people know the price. But no one, you, no one usually asks, how, how much should it cost? And then, if you might, like, that person might be shocked, they might be like, okay, well, it cost like 20 bucks or something. Okay, 20 bucks. And then, then you like, okay, take out your wallet, and then you just count out 10, 10, uh, you know, 10, and then 5, and then a couple of 5s, right? And then, here, 20. Here's the money for the gift you gave me. Now, enjoy the party. Anyone ever encountered that before? No, right? That would be really strange. That would be really strange. If you ever encounter that, let me know. I mean, don't do that on purpose, just so that you can say that. But, like, because by definition, a gift is something that you don't pay for. It's, it's not something that you earn. It's not something that you, that, 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 that you can acquire uh, you know, through, your own, uh, through your own efforts, in a sense. A gift is given freely. You don't need to pay it back. In fact, if you try to pay people for it, they will probably say no. And they would be like, oh, but it's your birthday, you know, so enjoy your gift, right? No, no, people would generally not accept your money, probably. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, right? So, a rapper that I like to listen to, yes, I listen to rap, okay, this guy, Christian rap. Uh, I know a lot of people had different thoughts about that. Can rap be- can you have Christian be rapping? But yeah, okay. And he defined um, grace this way in his song. God's riches at Christ's expense. So grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. So what we have here is that God has given us something, but not at our expense, but at his own expense. And we see here that your condition for salvation is the same as mine. Okay, yes, sure, I'm a pastor here, but if the condition is the same, I don't get any special perks, okay? I don't uh, get any exceptions when it comes to salvation. Right, so think about, you can think about the, the most, like, well-behaved, most, uh, you know, moral people, ethical people in your lives. They, their condition for salvation is the same as someone who's incarcerated, it's the same. And herein lies the beauty of the gospel. And this is what really sets Christianity apart from other religions. Other religions say, do more. Our Jesus says, it's done. Our Jesus says that I lived a perfect life that you could never live, or I died the death that you should have died, and I rose back to life which you could never do. And Jesus says that now I'm all that you need. All that you need is right here. You don't need to be circumcised. You don't need to follow all the Jewish traditions. You don't need to get your, first get your life together so that God can accept you. Or you don't need to be perfect before God can love you. Or you don't need to have memorized a bunch of Bible verses, you know, gone to church a lot, read the whole Bible, to be noticed by God, to be loved by God. And this is what makes the gospel good news. I know a lot of people, they struggle with this. Myself included, right? In college, I struggled with this for two years. Can, can, I mean, is salvation, is it, just, is it really that simple? 
Is it, is it that, isn't that easy? Is there no strings attached? You know, like that, the bait and switch. Like, here's salvation, and woo, and like, you know, like the bait and switch. We, we hate that, right? We hate that clickbait stuff. Because we live in a world where we need to put effort, right? We need to put in effort. We need to work hard. We need to be better. We shouldn't let anyone look down on us. Right? We shouldn't ask for handouts. Right? We should never reach out for help because that makes you look weak. Right? These are some of the things that, that our world tells us. Not everyone, not everywhere. But these are some things that, that are told. Like, like uh, you know, this, this past week I was watching like a TV show or something, and like, yeah, someone was like basically very prideful in the fact and was actually teaching their child to never ask anyone for help, to do everything yourself, to rely on yourself. And I was, and, and then, and then, like in that moment that that TV show, they're trying to make that scene like really powerful, like and really like touching and emotional and like. And like you're like wow like yes like man believe in yourself and and just like go all out and, and you can do it you know in that in that moment. But I was thinking about it a little more. I'm like oh hold on a minute like huh like well, but what if they actually need help in the, in, in the future? Like what do you mean like don't ask anyone for help? Is, is it is it wrong? Is it you know does it really make you look weak or like is that isn't that okay? You know so like I started question oh man like. Yeah, it was a powerful moment, but then like, oh, what's the, what's the truth here? So, the moment that we start adding work, and we start doing things to the mix to earn our salvation, we end up with a different gospel, actually. And this is what Paul talks about in Galatians, in the book of Galatians. So, uh, a lot of commentators and a lot of scholars, they believe that in the book of Galatians, and what uh, the council and, and all these, these, these uh, the false gospels, this whole thing was tied to this event. The book of Galatians is tied to this event. And Paul was warning the Galatian churches that you guys need to be careful uh, that you guys don't follow another gospel. And I think this is one of the most dangerous things and damaging things in a church. It's one of the most detrimental things for believers is that we begin to believe a different gospel than the one found in the Bible. It doesn't even have to be very different. It could be like 99% the same but 1% different. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. So when we, when we, when we, when we learn and when we, when we teach and when we tell other thing, people things and when, when people tell you things, you really need to discern, right? What's, what's, what's right and what's almost right. And you need to remind yourself daily. Remind yourself when, when you sin. Remind yourself of this gospel of grace. Right, this gospel that is a gift, this salvation that is not through works. But then someone might come and then say, okay, well then, uh, I can just do whatever I want then, right? I mean, like, my salvation is secure, and, you know, like, God's grace, and, you know, God's love, and I can just live my life, right? I mean, God's got my back, no matter what, Right? So does this mean that we don't need to rely on the Spirit for holy living? Does this mean that we don't need to resist temptation? Does this mean we don't strive for holiness? No. In Romans 5, verse 20, so Paul also wrote this. It says this. Romans 5, verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. So the law 
came in to increase trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So when the, when the law came, you know, it told people what's right and wrong. And you know, there's a lot of laws, so there was a lot of wrong. But where there was a lot of wrong and sin, there was even more grace. That's what it's saying. And then people will take this and they'll be like, oh, great, a lot of grace. That's good, right? That's good. That's awesome. It is good. And then Romans 6, right, in 1 to 4, the very next chapter, it says this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Meaning, okay, well, more sin means more grace, so let's do even more sin for even more grace. Right? And then verse 2, Paul says, by no means. We are, we are those who have died to sin. How can we then live in it any longer? Or do you not know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may too live a new life. Right, that, was, that was a mouthful. Let me say that again, verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may live a new life. So in baptism, um, I know, yeah, in baptism, uh, we will say, you know, what? Dying to self, right? Dying to sin, you know, and raised to walk in units of life, right? A new creation, right? a new being. That's what we're talking about here, here. So this is good news. What we see here is that God's forgiveness, it never runs out. Our God doesn't get tired of loving us. And God's grace is sufficient. But we also need to strive for holiness, right? With this new life that we have. We don't go on sinning. Of course, it's impossible to sin right now. But we don't try and, and purposely go for it or like be reckless with it. We don't abuse it. We don't abuse this gift that God has given us. So as believers, we must hold fast to the truth that salvation is a grace of God and a gift that we receive by faith. And I want you to discuss now with a person next to you. Okay, so find someone next to you. Um, maybe, maybe you can do groups of three or, or two, two to three, okay. No more, no more than three. I want you guys to discuss this, okay. So, Adjir, could you please put the sentence up on the... All right, thank you so much. All right. I want you guys to, to discuss this sentence. It might be a run-on sentence. I'm not sure. Okay, but don't, 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 yeah, my grammar. But okay, uh, I want you guys to discuss uh, this sentence, and I want you guys to figure out. Firstly, what do you think the person that would say this? What do you think they're going through? What do you think they're going through? What's going through their mind? What's their motive, maybe? Okay, it could be a, a many different things. I want you guys to think about it. And then I want you guys to try and figure out what's right and wrong about this sentence, if there is something right and wrong about it. Okay, so take, take, uh, take maybe, take, we got time. Take uh, two minutes, okay? Two to three minutes, maybe, maybe less. I want you guys to, to think about it, okay? So you guys go for it. So everybody, everybody needs to be paired up, okay? Everybody. So first off, think about what this person is going through, the motives, 
What are they wrestling with? And what's right and wrong? 